Let's pray, please. Lord, thank you that you hear us. Thank you that you listen to us. Thank you that we're allowed to pray to you. Lord, that you don't strike us dead the first time we sin to you is grace. And we thank you that everything front to back in Christianity in this relationship with you is grace. Lord, you're so good and you're so faithful. Lord, I ask that you silence the mouth of the enemy that would try to make us think of other things, be distracted. Lord, or focus on ourselves, focus our eyes on you. Lord, turn our eyes to you. Help us put the things of the week behind us, the things that have been weighing on us for months or years. Put those behind us, Lord. We need your help. We can't do anything apart from you. I can't give a message without you. These people can't hear, Lord, without you. We need your help. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So this is part two of last week's sermon. Title is Justification by Grace Through Faith, Part Two. The promise of justification and the faithfulness of God. At the top of your sermon notes, it should say the running definition of justification, the terms that I'm using for justification. It's right standing with God, being declared righteous in God's courtroom. So many of us at one point or another have wondered, us Christians, we've wondered, are we saved? And last week we spent a significant amount of time on what are we saved from And I was focusing specifically on eternity. What are we saved from in eternity, in the afterlife? And I want to qualify that statement because some people think that Christianity is just a get-out-of-jail-free card or fire insurance policy. It's just for the afterlife. It's not for this life here. And that's not the case whatsoever. If your religion, if your version of Christianity does not leave you a changed person, person, it's probably fake. If your Christianity, if your relationship with God leaves you the same selfish, self-centered, ungrateful, unloving, unmerciful, ungracious, mean-spirited person before you became united to Christ by faith, it's probably fake. So Christianity, being saved, being justified, is just as much for now as it is for the afterlife. Last week we just focused on that, and I could talk for a long time about holiness and what that means now, but we're just focusing on this other part. I only have 30 minutes, so, and I'm already long-winded. So when I say what we've been saved from, we've been saved from, rescued from, redeemed from hell, which is the epitome, the full expression of the wrath of God, and as a reminder of last week, which is the basis for this week, we're just going to go over the basic premise of last week's message. So first point, last week we learned that we can be saved, rescued, ransomed from the just punishment of our sin, hell. We began by learning that God is a good, upright, and just judge. There is no corruption in him. He cannot possibly be unjust. If he were to be unjust, it would go against his nature. There is no injustice in him. And as an example, we used a scene in a courtroom where someone, we used a a murdering rapist in this courtroom scenario, and he comes and he stands before the judge. He's guilty. He's caught red-handed. And he says, Judge, this is the only crime I've ever committed, one crime ever, and I'm a relatively good person, so I think you should just let me go. 
And that's what many people think will happen to them when they stand before God in judgment. We think, well, I've been a pretty good person, and I've, my sins are only this small. You know, I'm not as bad as Hitler. And we think that our good deeds will outweigh our bad, and that's completely false. Everything that we've done, every single thing, every action that we've ever committed before we were saved is sin. Anything done apart from faith in Christ is sin. So before we were saved, before we were justified, before we were made right with God by the cross of Jesus, we had a lifetime of guilt from our sin, a lifetime of guilt from our rebellion standing against us as evidence in God's courtroom, and we concluded this, that each of us, having lied, stolen, coveted, hated, called someone a fool, taken God's name in vain, and lusted after people, and the list goes on and on, we, you and I, in our hearts, are lying, thieving, murderous, blasphemous, adulterers at heart, and we have to face God on Judgment Day, the same God who has no partiality in him, the same God who created the moon and the stars and everything, who created you, and with not an ounce of partiality or corruption, we, had to, we were soon to face the wrath of that God. And the just punishment of our sins, according to him, the judge who created everything, is hell, the lake of fire, the bottomless pit, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And one of my goals for that message last week was to drive us to despair of any self-righteousness and cling entirely to the righteousness of Christ from salvation, for salvation from sin, death, and hell. And my goal was to make us see that there was nothing that we could possibly offer to God to get us out of the condemnation that we justly deserved. The only thing that we could possibly hope to make us right with Christ, with God, was the death of Christ, the very thing that he provided. So that now, because of that, every bit of condemnation, wrath, judgment, and anger that should have been mine, that God should have justly poured out on me and on you, has been poured out on Jesus Christ. He paid the penalty that we could never pay. He suffered more than any, being, any human being could possibly bear because his goal was to glorify God in this. In saving lost, wretched, vile, miserable sinners like me, like you, he shows off the wonders and the glory and the majesty of his love and his mercy to us who didn't deserve it while we were still sinning, Christ died for the ungodly. Then by dying, being buried, and raising again three days later, he vindicated his payment on my behalf, was accepted to God. And now, because of this, and only because of this, is there no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Only because of this do we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We receive this by repenting of our sin and placing our trust, our full trust, our full faith in Jesus alone for our salvation, declaring him to be Lord, Master, and Ruler of our lives. Then we receive the Holy Spirit who comes to live inside of us, and then, then after being saved, we live a life of good works, not to earn our salvation, but because our salvation was given to us as a gift. And that was the basic premise of last week's message. So some of us, if not all of us, all of us Christians have wondered, am I saved? Am I really a Christian? Am I really born again? Am I going to heaven? And if you would do me a favor, if you're a Christian and you've ever wondered that, would you just put your hand up real quick? Am I saved? Some of you are more confident than I am because I have been at the pit, at the edge of suicide, 
that Satan had me like a fish on a hook. I was so scared. I was so petrified of not being saved, that, and I thought, there's nothing I can do. And that doubt can come from various different sources. It comes from our own doubting flesh. It comes from us from sinning. Some of us think we sin our way out of being saved. The enemy, who loves to inspire doubt, fear, and confusion in our lives, or even other religions and other religious organizations that would make us seek salvation in something else or someone else other than Christ. And as I said, the only thing that could have pulled me out of that pit of despair are the promises of God. So the first question that may be brought up is, can we even know that we're saved? We wonder if we're saved. Can we even know? Is it even knowable? Next point, can we possibly know for sure 100% that we are saved? Yes. John 20, 30 through 31. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Have life. Have life. Remember to be looking out for words like that. Like have, is, and are. As in we are justified. As in we have peace. Listen for those verses, or for those key words as I read all the verses. John three fifteen through 16. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Hebrews six eleven, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. Hebrews ten twenty one. And since we have a great high priest, have, we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. So that's the goal of this message. It's God's will that you would be sure of salvation. It's not God's will for you to be doubtful and tempted and tossed like a ship on the ocean, scared one day and sure the next. So my goal is that to encourage us, we who are saved, and anyone who's not saved, anyone who's not trusting in Christ, that you would by the end of this message. And we're going to be looking at multiple promises throughout Scripture and I want to focus primarily on Romans 3, that it, if you read the family newsletter, I hope that you read at least once or twice. So let me stay, set the stage a little bit. Paul, in chapter 1 of Romans, states that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Then he spends the rest of, chapter, uh, rest of the chapter and all of chapter 2 demonstrating that everyone, absolutely everyone, is condemned before the righteous, just, holy, perfect justice of God. So next point. Paul uses Romans 1 to bring all people under the just sentence of condemned. Romans 1, 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Romans 1, 29 through 32. Remember this verse is talking about us. They are filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. So Paul in chapter 1 gathers all Gentiles, all, Hebrew, all non-Hebrew people of the world, and exposes the big red stamp on their forehead, condemned. 
Next point, Paul uses Romans 2 to bring all Hebrew people under the just sentence of condemned. Paul uses Romans 2 to bring all the Hebrew people under the just sentence of condemned. And I think, especially nowadays, that that chapter is especially pertinent to those who think, who consider ourselves moral, or who consider ourselves good people, or think that we're good enough to get into heaven. Romans 2, 1. Therefore, you have no excuse, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Romans two twenty one, You who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you commit sacrilege? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So it does not matter if one has a Hebrew heritage or another national heritage. We are all condemned because we have broken God's law and his justice demands that we die for our sins and go to hell. His justice, righteous anger, and wrath demand that we pay for our transgressions against him. So that's the point, that's the case that Paul is building in Romans 1 and 2. Romans 3, next point. Paul uses Romans 3 to bring the whole world under the just sentence of condemned. Romans 3, 10 through 19. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside and together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of snakes is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law speaks, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. So the picture Paul paints here is very bleak. The human condition is about as bad as it gets. In Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, he says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, you and were, by nature, children of wrath. Romans 3.19, going back, says this, Now we know that whatever the law speaks, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. All mankind is under God's moral law. He says that every mouth will be stopped. We'll put, we'll cover our mouths with our hands because we know we are guilty. We are guilty and we know it. We are guilty and he knows it. And it does not matter if we suppress that truth. It's still true. That is the purpose of the law, to get us to despair of our own self-righteousness and to bring us into God's courtroom. That's what it means in verse 19 when it says, the whole world be held accountable to God. In and of ourselves, we have nothing. In and of ourselves, we have nothing that would render us acquitted, nothing that would prove us innocent. We are held accountable for our sins that we are absolutely guilty for, whether we recognize it or not. It's kind of a funny way to start out for assurance message, right? Romans three twenty, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. When Paul says this, he's saying there's no good works that you could do. 
No good deed that you could do, no charity to give your money to, no church to volunteer for, no anything that you could do, that you could do to be made right in God's sight, to be justified, to be saved. We couldn't even keep the law of Moses like the Israelites tried. He agrees with James when he says this in James 2.10. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point has become guilty of all of it. Let's say, for instance, that we weren't lying, thieving, blasphemous, murderous, adulterers at heart, that we were just adulterers. He says you've broken that one law. The whole thing is broken because of that one sin. Next point. No amount of my own good works will make me right with God. We're getting there. I want you to know that you're made right with God. That will not happen if you're trusting in your own righteousness, if you're trusting in yourself. Next point, or not next point, sorry. Just read that. There's nothing you, on your own strength, in and of yourself, no matter how much willpower you exert, or anything else by which you could pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, not even obeying Old Testament law, In fact, if we're relying on our morality, on works of the law, or our own righteousness, our own good deeds in any way, shape, or form, Paul says that we are under a curse. Galatians 3, 10 through 14. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Jesus Christ the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we may receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. So, if we can't trust ourselves, if we can't rely on ourselves, how can we know that we are saved. How do we receive righteousness before God? How do we receive justification before God? How, if I cannot be made, if I cannot earn right standing before God on my own power, can I ever be made right with him? How can I hope to escape the coming judgment, being found guilty and going to hell for eternity? When I asked earlier how many of us have wondered if we are saved or not, not right now, but sometime in the past, the vast majority of people put their hands up. As long as we're trusting in ourselves, as long as you're trusting in your own good works, you cannot know that you're saved. Next point. Righteousness before God and justification can only be found by receiving the gift of grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Righteousness before God and justification can only be found by receiving the gift of grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So, how can I know that I'm saved? Romans 3, 21 through 24 gives us the answer. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So now, apart from our works, apart from our own self-driven efforts, apart from anything that we could do or offer to God, the righteousness of God that you need to be able to stand before God and not be found guilty is here. It is only in Jesus Christ. And it comes through faith in Jesus Christ alone. 
period. It does not come through faith in yourself. There is no way of, other way of salvation. Justification being made right with God, right standing before God, is completely unattainable to you in and of yourself. And as I said last week, that is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus. That despite our sin, despite our rebellion, our ugliness and pride, God made a way for us to be saved by his grace and mercy. Not us. We did not make a way. Not because we earned it, but because of his mercy. So how can we know for sure? By trusting. By trusting that what he has said and done is true. Faith, I, I use the word trust. When I'm out on the street witnessing to people, I say, put your trust in Jesus. Don't trust in yourself. Trust in Jesus. Faith gets a bad rap nowadays. Uh, the term faith, people equate it with blind faith, and that's just not accurate because blind faith would say, I don't know if this is going to work out. Blind faith says, I don't know if this person is trustworthy. But when we know that God is wholly trustworthy, entirely trustworthy, we know that we can trust him. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Assurance. Not hope for. If I ask you, are you saved? And you say, I hope so. There's a concern. I am saved. And as I said at the beginning, my goal is to help us gain more assurance of salvation. And in simple terms, it comes down to this. Trust God and take him at his word. Next point. Trust God and take him at his word. Here's where we get to the faithfulness of God and why it is so vitally important to understand. Suppose one day I said to you that I want to pay off your $10,000 vehicle debt that you weren't able to pay for for yourself. And when the time came, you received a statement in the mail and it said, you still owe that ten grand." And what would you think of me? <laughs> that scoundrel, that liar, he wasn't faithful to me. He made a promise and he didn't follow through. And you would be right in thinking that. If I said I would do this and I didn't do it, you would be right in calling me a liar. Has anyone ever lied to you and not been faithful to you? I thought of a story when most of you, some of you, were here a few months ago when I gave my testimony. I grew up in meth houses in California. My mom was a uh, drug peddler. She was the run, one that ran meth back and forth between the drug kingpin and all the dealers and stuff. So sometimes I would go a few days without seeing her. And uh, I would sit there by the phone, and I can, my fingers can still do the, but, or the thing, the, you know, the keypad, one through nine. I can still dial that because I would call her, and it would go straight to voicemail, and I'd hang up and do it again and again and again and again. And I would do that for sometimes two, three hours at a time, just sitting there calling her because she said she would be home, and she's not. God's not like that. God's not like that even a little bit. He is always faithful. So when he says that you are made right with him by grace through faith, that settles it. Hate to tell you, you can't argue with him about this. Satan can't tell you that you aren't saved. Your own flesh can't tell you that you aren't saved if you're trusting in Jesus Christ alone. Why? Because God said you are. Your, your opinion doesn't matter if you think you're not saved or not. If you are trusting in him, 
you are, whether we have seasons of doubt or not, if we're trusting in him for salvation, not our own righteousness, we are saved. Romans 3, 4. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. So there's a lot of people, there's a lot of cults, pseudo-Christian cults, uh, like Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, um, our own flesh, Satan, that want to get us to trust something else, trust someone else for salvation. And the major difference, one of the major differences between Christianity and basically every other religion is this. You don't need me. Get the Bible. Go to the woods. Read it by yourself. God will reveal his truth to you. Every other religion says, sure, read the Bible, but here's the thing you have to read on top of it. If you don't read this, if you don't read the Book of Mormon, if you don't read the Watchtower articles, if you don't read, the, read this New Age book, etc., 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 then you won't understand what it's talking about. And I'm saying, just read the Bible. You will know. Trust what he says. Get alone with God in his word and believe what it says, regardless of what we say. They will say that apart, you can't know God apart from them and their resources, but we will say you can know God. You can know God. So why do you think that the enemy works day and night to try to discredit God? Satan, the enemy, has been working day and night since before the fall of man to get us to doubt God's faithfulness, to doubt his word. Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that Yahweh God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say? We see this, that though God had given his word directly to Adam, directly to mankind, he gave him the, his word about something. And then Satan, the serpent from Genesis, comes in saying what? Did God really say that? Did God really say not to do this? And today, what does he say? When we're doubting our salvation, what does he say? Did God really tell you that you can be made right with him by grace through faith? Did God really say that? So many sources nowadays say God didn't communicate to us through that book. Come on, if God wanted to, he could come down and talk to us. He didn't communicate to us through that book. It's wrong in so many areas. How can it be trusted about this? Do you see how subversive it is that Satan attacks the sure foundation of God's word in an attempt to discredit him and to make us think that we can't trust God in what he has said? Satan is and has been attacking God's faithfulness by attacking his word. He knows, Satan knows, that if he attacks my assurance of salvation, he gets me doubting, takes me out of the fight completely. That's why he works so hard at it. I know that I am saved for this reason only, that God doesn't lie. Because he does not lie, I can conclude this, that when he says something, it's true. It is absolute truth, whether someone believes him or not, whether my flesh believes it or not, whether some internet atheist believes it or not, it is true because he is truth, because he does not lie. When he says that we are going to be made right with him by grace through faith, I'm going to believe him. And that's what this whole thing is about. We need to get alone with him in his word and trust him. And I know it's been a long buildup 
up until this point, but everything I've said is to get this one point across to you, is that you can trust God. You can take him at his word, and by doing so, by doing so, you will gain great assurance of salvation. Your anxieties and fears will be greatly decreased in every arena of life, and you will know that you are safe, secure for eternity, in the loving arms of God your Father, that nothing can snatch you from his hand. This is what we have to base our hope for eternal life off of, his truthfulness only. Do you notice that when we start trusting in, in, our, in ourselves and start thinking, oh, well, I haven't been to church enough, I haven't been reading my Bible, then we start to doubt. When we're trusting in ourselves, our own morality, when we're trusting in what we've done, that's when doubt starts to creep in. When we're leaning on the everlasting arms, as the song says, we have nothing to fear. Next point. Assurance of salvation is found in taking God at his word and saturating your mind in his promises. What I mean by saturating your mind in his promises is this, that day in and day out, because of our sin, because of the flesh, because of Satan, social media, internet atheists, etc., we're tempted to doubt God's promises. And the only way to, doubt, or to, to combat this is to continually go over his promises. When Emma and I were dating, I actually sat her down multiple times and I said, these are the reasons you should not date me. You should not even consider marrying me. We should. I tried to convince her to break it off with me. I'm a scumbag. I don't know if you guys know that. And I said, you need to get away right quick and in a hurry. Not because I didn't like her, because she's a gem, but because I said, there's something wrong with me. You need to get away. And eventually she got tired of those conversations, and she wrote me something, and I've kept it in my wallet. Um, in fact, I've never showed this to anyone, so y'all better feel special. She wrote this front and back. I need to get it laminated. And it says, reasons I chose or choose you. And when I was apart from her, when I was apart from this paper, my mind would go crazy and I would think she needs to leave me. I'm no good for her. She needs to get away from me. Doubt on and on and on. But when I pulled this out, this letter that she wrote and saturated my mind in it, and I remembered she actually chose to be with me. Now, that's an important relationship, husband and wife. How much more important with your eternal father? In the same way, God's letters to us, it is the same way with God's letters to us. We need to saturate our minds in him and his promises. I wrote down, I went through... uh, Isaiah 42 through about 52, and I just wrote down all the things that he said he would do for me, and it just says, you can't read it, but it says God's promises, and then here, I'm going to read them to you, and this is what is true of you if you are in Christ. Despite what you think, despite what Satan tells you, these are true. So just listen to these. From God, I have chosen you. I have called you. I will not cast you away. I am with you. I am your God. 
I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you, and I hold your right hand. I will not forsake you. I will keep you. I give you my peace. I will guide you. I rescue you. I restore you. I have redeemed you. I created and formed and made you. I have removed and forgotten and forgiven your sins. I will go before you, stand beside you. I will guard your back. I am within you. I am Yahweh, and I love you, Brandon. About two years ago, I thought I was going to die from despair because <laughs> I was so worried about being saved. This, God's promises, kept me afloat. God's promises saved me. And I have two pages of other ones that I had to read over and over and over again to bathe my mind. Romans 2, or Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So there in Romans 3 is the perfect place to start renewing our mind, saturating our mind in truth, not in the mess of this world, not in the lies of the media, not in the lies of the enemy and our own flesh, but in truth, objective, absolute truth. So, here are the promises that I've found in Romans 3 through 8. These are truth statements that God says about you. If you're trusting in Jesus for salvation, here are these ones. The righteousness of God has been brought to light apart from the law. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. I am justified by grace, by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. This is received by faith, by trust. I am justified by faith apart from works of the law. To the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. If it were those who adhere to the law that would inherit this righteousness, faith is null and the promise is void. Faith in Christ is counted to me as righteousness. Jesus was delivered for our transgressions and raised for our justifications. Justification. And these are the two that help me more than almost anything. Romans 5.1. Therefore. Therefore means all that stuff we had just talked about. All that condemnation. Romans 1 and 2 and 3. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Have peace. I have peace with God right now, and I know it. I'm not his enemy anymore. I'm his son. God desires the same assurance for you, and even more so. Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's therefore now, right now, not maybe, not possibly in the future, not you had it at one time, now, right now, this second, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So here's the big application point. Know that you can trust God. Take him at his word. Preach these things to yourself. When you're concerned about your salvation, when you are concerned whether you were saved or not, Test yourself by these scriptures, these words of God, and see. If you are trusting Jesus by faith, trusting in his grace, you are saved, and you have God's word.
Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your faithfulness. Lord, thank you that you don't lie. Thank you that you've made all these promises to us that despite our sin, that you loved us anyways. Thank you for your great love and your mercy. Lord, I ask that even today someone would realize that for the first time and turn to you in repentance and faith. God, help us always turn to you and cling to you. We love you, Lord. Amen.